Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danahy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. Hearts getting torn from your mistakes. Welcome to the show, In Your Face, LaxCast. Uh, apologies for earlier this week with travel schedules between Andy and I. We couldn't do a recap. However, we are joined today with Ty Zanders. Ty has been a lax head and a journalist since his high school days at St. Paul's in Maryland, spending several years as a contributor and full-time employee at Inside Lacrosse. Ty has established himself as a frontman for lacrosse recruiting across the country. His newest venture, Recruiting Rundown, has been a huge success partnering with some of the best showcases and tournaments in the country, offering high school game coverage, commitments, rankings, and even regional and national high school polls, plus much, much more. Ty is a close friend of Andy and I and is an expert in the world of lacrosse and a point man in one of the most controversial topics in our game, recruiting. We're excited to have him on. So thanks, Ty, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Great to have you. Awesome. Awesome. So, Ty, uh, you know, like all of us, this, is, this has been a really busy time for you. And while I know you have an eye on the college game, the high school season is really well underway, uh, especially in the southern states. What's the focus right now for you and high school, high school lacrosse? I'm, I'm just trying to get out to as many games as I possibly can. You know, I think uh, Monday to Friday last week I, I went to five games and then took Saturday off, went up to Philly. And, uh, and and caution up, caught another game. So it's just trying to see all the non-conference matchups because they're pretty great measuring sticks. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a blast. It's seen as much as I can, talking to people, uh, you know, keeping my ear to the ground and, and all that. So this is my favorite time of year. I, I can't say I've slept much or socialized much, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm having a blast. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And so in terms of – you know, the national world of lacrosse and people, you know, especially where our sport is still located in the Northeast, uh, you know, the season really hasn't started. I mean, certainly for Massachusetts hasn't started, but where are the pockets of national lacrosse that are well into their seasons right now? Well, of course, you know, it starts with states like Florida and, and Texas and California, um, you know, Georgia, these, these states have been going for a couple of weeks. January, I think was the, the start in Florida. So, uh, they got kicked off, and then I think about it feels like yesterday, but about two or three weeks ago, we'll have the, the Maryland teams, DC, Philly getting underway. You know, uh, I guess like March seventh was kind of the unofficial start date, but uh, we're still waiting on some of the New England prep schools. Uh, the the publics in New York has, have just started, at least in Long Island, and then upstate starting I think like next week. Um, so it's, it's really going to kick off, uh, in, in full, I think about April 1st or so. And, and then it's, it's essentially two straight months of, of high school ball. So it's, it's gotten harder, I think, as the years have gone on to follow the, the whole country. Cause there's just, 
you know, great lacrosse is being played in more areas. So you, you got to follow the, the southeast, the west, the midwest get underway, you know, pretty soon. Uh, right here, mid-Atlantic, there's so much going on. The northeast, I'll be heading up there soon. So uh, just the, the key for me is to, to have a lot of sources, talk to people. Uh, the Internet is your friend. Got a couple crossover and huddle passwords and, and watch some films. So just whenever I can to, to watch all that, while well, I'll try to keep up with all the college team as well. That's so, awesome. Ty, Ty, as you get on these roads and you watch these guys play, obviously, uh, you know, you are uh, you know, the lead dog as it comes to, you know, the high school rankings of the players in the respective grades. How do you go about comparing a performance that you see, you know, live and in the Baltimore area to something that you may see, you know, uh, on huddle or on film and, 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 and how does, how does that come into how you move kids around with the rankings? No, that's, that's a great question. I think it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting because there's, there's always been talk about, okay, you know, yeah, Ty, you're watching these Maryland, D.C., and Philly kids in Long Island so much, and uh, the, the other areas not as much. When, you know, yeah, that's, that's true. That's the nature of it. But what, what I'm trying to do is, is measure everything. I, I think just to talk about the ranking process, uh, as you guys know, I, I spend the whole summer, um, you know, about 150 hours just on yep. the sidelines watching what I can and then, you know, the fun part for me once, like, August 1st hits is I'll continue all these conversations with Division One coaches and talk about right. 15 or 20 and, and kind of combine the two opinions while, you know, really almost weighing what they say more than myself. I wasn't exactly the most accomplished lacrosse player, and that's uh, a serious understatement. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I love the game, and I, I watch as much as I possibly can. But to answer your question about, you know, measuring kids from out west uh, to here – I think uh, the beauty of, of the club scene is that uh, we can see so much in, in a small amount of time. Um, yeah. and, and people prefer different, uh, different ways of watching kids. I know, um, you know everyone wants to watch a kid live. I, I would prefer to evaluate a player in a, in a high school setting, whether he's yeah. playing uh, you know, with his high school team in the summer, you know, an event like uh, NHSLS or, or Under Armour Shootout, something like that. But that's the best way because you're in a structured environment. Uh, you know, I think the, the cross, the, the translation from a high school system and, uh, you know, the, the coaching in place there, I think translates a lot better to the next level just because, you know, of course, in Division One you have you have a system. Club ball, uh, I think, is, is very well coached, but there's still like that run-and-gun, you know, summer ball feel. Yeah, um, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I think that's an unbelievable – uh, point to make clear to everybody, and I think that really adds a ton of credibility to what you do. You know, as sort of one of the very few guys, uh, you know, that does actually come out the rankings and has the guts to publish those rankings, and you know, uh, you know, and 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 deal with the repercussions of those in some cases. Uh, you know, I think that's I think that that can make people feel a lot better about just how responsible uh, your rankings are because to, to I, cause I agree. I mean, there's no question that the way kids play on the club circuit is totally different than the way that kids play, you know, in high school and that there's way more structure in high school and it shows, 
you know, kids and their respective abilities to play within a system where, like you said, in the club program, while there still is awesome coaching, it is definitely much closer to a summer league style of play simply because they don't have the same amount of time together to have everybody fit into a scheme and reflect it and, and be able to effectively execute that. So that's, that's great to know. Yes. I think, you know, I think what's even more important is that you, you think about where we are as a sport and, and people say, Oh, you know, these coaches are spending way too much time, you know, on the, you know, in, on the summer club circuit, uh, sitting in lawn chairs, watching kids for a half and then making decisions. You know, they should be watching more high school ball. Um, well, I'm pretty sure they have to focus on their Division One season with the team that they're paid to coach. You know, That's and correct. We're, not, we're not football where you have 20, 25 staffers that while you're running practice, you know, these guys can run all around the country and go watch, right. uh, you know, spring ball and they can go watch games and, and they're sitting in a room evaluating tape. We're, we're not there as a sport. I don't know if we'll ever, and we won't ever get there to where football and basketball, you know, those sports are. Uh, with that amount of resources. So it's just, this is the nature of it. This is what it is. Um, is. Is it, you know, awesome for the sport? Maybe not, but like, I don't, again, and we'll get into this. It's not as detrimental as people think um, with the way things are being done. I, I really, these coaches are putting in the time. They're doing their homework more than people believe. They want to see their character, their academics, their family, their lacrosse skills. Uh, you know everything about them, and they're they're putting in the hours, and, and you cannot deny that. No one can. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, I know that the early recruiting, and again, we're going to touch on this, but listen, the early recruiting isn't bad for anyone except the college coaches that go on kids that don't end up panning out for their programs. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and I would put one caveat with that. Where the early recruiting is bad, at least in my opinion, for the kids specifically, is when you get a kid that decides to commit to lacrosse tech or lacrosse state, and he has an academic profile that projects success at a much better academic school than lacrosse state or lacrosse tech. And that's the one kid that loses. If he could go to a way better academic school and instead he makes a lacrosse decision for himself instead of a life decision for himself, that is where there's a downside to the prospect. But you take a kid that commits to, you know, a great academic school, one that's better than he would get into if he applied just as a regular student, whether or not he actually pans out as, uh, you know, as a, a great college player in the end or not, if he's able to leverage the opportunity to play college across into support and admissions office and get him into a better academic school because of that, whether or not he pans out as a lacrosse player on that level, that really sort of only impacts the college coach to some degree. So I think there are different ways to look at it. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree hundred percent. I, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head and, and people don't realize that. And, and I think, you know, living, living where I do in Baltimore, being the grad of an MIAA school. I know a lot of people in the area that were, were very hyped recruits. They were great players, great kids, played in great programs, and, and maybe they didn't pan out, but they're all doing very well and have, you know, I, I imagine they have no regrets over their college choice and, and the way things went um, because they're, they have great jobs. Uh, you know, their bank account's looking pretty good right now. Uh, everything's working out, even though people will, will look at that and say, oh, that kid didn't pan out because 
he was an early recruit or, you know, he made the wrong decision, went to the wrong school. Things are working out pretty well for these kids. That right. Day, you know, and their but that, but that, No question. I mean, that, that, that wrong decision is the same decision that, let's face it, probably four out of every ten kids that go, 40% of all the recruiting classes are the wrong decisions, seeing that most college programs are playing, you know, 20 to 24 kids on game day. If they carry a roster of 40, that tells you that 40% of every recruiting class, those kids made a mistake by going to that school if the mistake is defined as not getting any playing time when you go to that college to play. You know? Yeah, and I, uh, I, I forget, I for, not to cut you off, but I think I forget the, the head coach, you know, who I was talking to recently, and he was saying, you know, it's a rule of five. You, you need five kids per recruiting class. Um, you know, when you multiply that by four, even I can – do the math and then yep. say that's 20 um amazingly <laughs> and and you need about what 20 between 20 and 25 players to play on game day if you can get five you know of course taking consideration maybe a transfer here and there uh five kids per class is is what you need um you right. know i think to to be a successful class and and all that and, and ryan i know you, you know i've had great conversations with you over you know the past couple of years especially when you're at michigan uh sort of just talking about how you know, I think I was talking to John Paul about this too. Just you, you want to hit on like fifty percent or so of your class that you take, right. um, and if you're getting maybe sixty to seventy percent, you're contending heavily for a conference championship. Any more than that, and and you're looking at a, a maybe quarterfinal run, final four run. I, I look at some of the you know, and we'll get into this again. I think you look at Notre Dame and, and Yale and Duke, uh, three programs. I love to single out probably too much. But those those guys aren't really missing on kids. They're they're coaching them up. They're getting the most out of them. I they almost seem like they're in a seventy five percent to eighty five percent recruit pan out rate, and that's just off the top of my head. But um, you know, I, I think that they're also my, they're my also at the there. top of the food chain too, right? Todd? Exactly. They're also right. So like you know, Duke and Duke has an interesting way of recruiting. You know, they say they don't recruit early. You know, but all of a sudden they'll have blink on June first. They'll have eight recruits <laughs> commit uh, on June first of their you know rising sophomore summer. Uh, you know, we all know what they're doing, and, and Notre Dame, and certainly you know uh, the schools of high academic caliber that Andy always talks about, were the schools that everyone wants to go to. They're the most desired schools. Uh, they can sit back and take a little bit more time because in the end, a kid that's you know, committed to lacrosse state or lacrosse tech or whomever you want to use as an example, if they're given the opportunity to go to Duke or Notre Dame, they're going to take it. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, Ty, you know, you, you really need to hit 50%. And to the fact that a college D1 coach, and that, do you remember it, it was in the Ivy League or not Ivy League? The, the guy that you were talking to, Ty? Uh, it was not Ivy League. Okay, so that is even incredible because I know if you're not in Ivy League, you're recruiting somewhere around 12 kids, you know, give or take 12 kids a year in non-Ivy League schools. I mean, the fact that he said five makes my, you know, theory on 50% look even better because I say, yes. hey, if you're at 50%, you're getting six, you know, six-ish guys. You're saying five. You're, you're four less than a normal person. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, you know, and then and then you have Maryland class. taking like thirty recruits per class, you know. So right, right, right. <laughs> or Q's. I mean, Q's had what eight committed face-off guys at one point in three years worth of classes because they no, just have a guy yeah. that they, they like. 
It's going to get to the point where they're going to start having triple digits in the back of their jerseys. Their roster will be so big. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ty, um, you know, recently, and I know you get in these arguments all the time, but I would have loved to have read Quint's article, uh, Ty, uh, but he's blocked me. Um, so anytime this <laughs> stuff comes up, uh, it doesn't show up on my on my timeline, and it sucks. And everyone's like, all of a sudden, an early recruiting conversation comes up on my timeline, and I have no idea where it kind of, you know, originated from. And of course, it's quick because he's not on my timeline because he blocked me. Unlocked well, Ryan, Ryan, really next, next next time you want, just wear a singlet, and Quint will put you on. I mean, listen, I just saw him do wrestling. <laughs> Last Saturday, and he was dying to line up to speak to those guys coming off the mat. So I think that's the way to circumvent <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the, the two of you sweat very equally. You know, I think, uh, but, you know, the, the, the NCAA wrestlers quit with covering, and, and Danny, you know, the two of you sweat just incredible amounts. So I, I love that. Come on, Quint, get off, get off your soapbox, Quint, and unblock me and actually engage with you on Twitter. Stop being so, like, quick to the block button. God, so brutal. But uh, what, the, what, uh, what the hell did he say, first off, and why is it so disgusting to him? Because in the end, who is he driving? Like, where is the point that he's driving at? Because like Andy said, and you said too, is it's not the kids. Why would you ever blame the kids? It's not the clubs. Why would you ever blame the clubs? In the end, you could go as high as it's Title IX's fault because we don't have full scholarships for lacrosse. But in reality, if we don't have that, the next person to blame is the college coaches. It is the college coaches. Look, it is the college coaches. And they're the ones taking the risk. If they're the ones taking the risk, they're also the ones paying the price. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's And that's that's a huge part of it. I mean, I and and I could talk about this for hours, and, and people will hate my opinions, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I've this is my life. Oh, I won't hate you anyway, Ty. So don't oh, worry yeah, about no, it. I, I don't hate you. you know, I, I I can't get any worse and, and more annoying. So I I might as well just uh, at least hell here. Um, you know, but I I don't know. I think I just and I I I really not trying to call out Quint as much as it may come off, but like it's just the it's the the whole approach to, to, to people's hate on early recruiting, the people that hate on it probably don't know Jack about it. You know, I don't, right. I don't see, you know, like Quint, I don't, I don't see it at these club tournaments. You know, I don't see it talking to club coaches. Um, I, I'm not saying that, you know, it's a bad thing that he's talking about all this, but like, uh, I get, no, actually screw that. I, I am saying it because he's, he's not sitting there. <laughs> no, I am saying it. He's not sitting there watching these kids. You know, watching the tournaments, watching the individual showcases, having the conversations with college coaches about it and club coaches and, and everybody, he doesn't cover recruiting for a living. Um, he's an extremely hard worker. But, like, I, I think people just love getting up on soapboxes and saying, oh, recruiting, this recruiting thing is so broken. It's ruining our sport. You know, oh, it's causing all this parity. Oh, you think, oh, yeah, UVA, Carolina, Hopkins, they're losing because they're only recruiting. What? Like, you know, I, I right. think all that is ridiculous. Right. That's not where we are right now. Um, you know, I, I So what like, what is it? There's definitely what, issues. What is, but what is the cause of the parody tie? What do you think the cause of the parody is? I and it's been said, I think, even by, by QK, I think, and, and a bunch of us that there's just more talent out there. There there's totally. there like there's exactly. so many more uh just top flight players and, and I miss plenty of them, you know, when it comes to rankings. That's that's just the nature of it. But 
there, there's more talent out there. There are more events. Um, you know, there's just I think everyone wants to make a buck, so there are more events. But like that's not. I think that's all tying into the whole craze. It's just kind of. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think again, like people are saying that. Oh, you know the the coaching staffs at High Point Richmond and and uh, you know and and Marquette they're awesome and they're totally outdoing some of these ACCs and Big Tens and like that they're not off. I think they're getting the most out of their guys. Their approach is is fantastic. I think the guys that at some of those schools I mentioned are are doing the best job when it comes to uh, recruiting, doing their research, and then developing their guys. Um, you know, and and getting the most out of unhyped recruits i i think that's a, a huge part of it and there will only be more parody because as we've said a million times i think we're not yet at the point where we can sit back and look at college across and say oh these teams aren't doing well because of uh early recruiting you know we're not there you're not, yet. you're totally dead on with that i mean i think the key point you said is developing talent you know there is there are it's a fact with the emergence of the sport uh, on the youth level across the country, there's just way more people that can catch, throw, shoot, dodge, defend, period, right? And, you know, then you factor in the coaches that have done an awesome job of identifying the characteristics of the recruits and the prospects that they're evaluating, and they're recruiting those prospects that have the characteristics and have the intangibles that are going to allow their respective schemes to be the most effective. So the coaches that do the best job of bringing in prospects, you know, that fit into their respective schemes, those are the guys that, you know, uh, have no gripe with early or late recruiting. You know, yeah, right. it's not yeah. about who the best recruit is. It's who's the best prospect for your respective system. Yeah. And what's, what's clearly, the Andy Shea, go ahead. No, I think that's what I'm just adding on. I think it's the best fit. I think people say, you know, I've accused some uh, some schools of going after the best players and them not panning out. Um, you know, that's that's not off. You want the, the best kid for for your system, you know, for the way right. you run your, up your program, whether that's uh, a, a public school kid that's blue-collar from uh, the, the south shore of Long Island or, you know, a football player from Texas or, you know, a, a finesse player from, from – Baltimore, I think whatever you feel is the best fit for your system, the way you play defense or offense, um, the the way your programs run, that's the right thing to do, you know. And I but think some of those is. programs are doing a great job, you know, the Richmonds of the world and the Marquettes and the High Points, and I'm, I'm missing a few. Um, you, you look at those schools, and they're doing a great job of that. Yale's doing a great job of that. Notre Dame, right. Duke, I yes. go on and on. Yeah, I mean, Yale, you got, you've got, like you said, Yale, Notre Dame, Denver on the offensive end, you know, what Torps are. I yeah, cannot forget about them. Absolutely. They're not, they're, they're bringing the best guy for their system, regardless of what the rankings are. You know, the, the other side of it would be a gross accentuation of that point would be, you know, you've got a football team that runs the wishbone. They're not going out and, and, and recruiting the number one quarterback, throwing quarterback in the country for their program. But yet I still think that there are lacrosse programs that are at the top, that are bringing in the highest-rated recruits. And I, don't think those point, guys are and I don't think those guys are translating to the, the best prospects for their systems. And, and yeah, that, yeah. that's the problem. That's, that's, that's who early recruiting isn't working for. 
And I right. think that that tends to happen, and 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 maybe this is one of the downfalls of our 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 system. Um, I think that maybe tends to happen because these coaches are relying so much on summer ball, where it's a little bit more unorganized. Um, yep, you can still agreed. see, okay, who's a quarterback, who's a a creech faster, who's a takeaway artist, you know, at LSM, who's a you know a, a plain Jane vanilla shutdown D guy. Um, you can still see all that, but there's not that system to to look at, you know. And I'm not disrespecting club teams. I know these guys have systems in place and plays and you know, great coaching um, in, in many areas, but you still don't have that, um, that, that, that system that you get from a high school where these guys are being coached, you know, five, six days a week in the spring and, and watch a ton of film and scout and, and all that. I think, like, because of where we are and, and how things are, are working, I think it, it may be hard to, to kind of see that and then say, okay, this is where this guy fits. But it's still working, and, and and this is just me overthinking all of it and, and making a point. But uh, that's just the way I feel in part. <laughs> but I have two points to make, and I Towers, that was a great point you made, and obviously Ty, you backed it up with your experiences. Um, but my point is that for all the parents and coaches and whomever's pissed off at all this early recruiting, the idea that the lower teams are like, oh well, you know. They're doing a great job getting the late bloomers. Well, given the opportunity to go ahead and choose the recruits that they would pick, they pick the ones who are already committed. They would go right into that top 10 or top 20. Right. You know, of course, right. they're going to be right. buffed in that top 20. Of course. I mean, it is what it is. Or top 50. They're going to be buffed. But the majority of those kids are still the best players when they're seniors. A vast majority of those kids. And those tier lower, quote-unquote, lower-tier teams would be like, God, if I have my choice, I'd pick Johnny or I'd pick Jimmy the Superstar. I'm going to pick Jimmy the Su- I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick Jimmy the Superstar. The second point I wanted to make is that really this all comes down to the level of tolerance that parents have with this uh, early recruiting. When they go ahead and see a kid that goes through puberty and he's, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old, he's six foot, 180 pounds, and he's a monster athlete. And they're like, well, my Jimmy, he's five foot five, and he's a buck 20, and he hasn't gotten there. This, this process sucks. You know, this is so stupid. And, and the reality is, well, everyone's like, oh, well, they don't know if the kid's going to pan out or not. Of course, you didn't know that if he committed when he was a senior. You still don't exactly. know that. Exactly, that's the biggest what? thing, yes. Right. And right. They, they, they all didn't pan out. I mean, every kid at Virginia didn't pan out when they won. You know, national championships in 99, I mean, it, it, the reality was they still get all the best players. But the level of tolerance that families have when they see a kid who goes through puberty and they're like, well, you never gave my son a chance. That's it's not really about your son. It's not right. about your son, Mrs. Jones. Right. Okay? It's about what's in the best interest for that respective coach's family's quality of life. Their right. quality of life is directly linked to how much how successful they are in recruiting. If they want to offer out nine spots to nine freshmen, that's their risk. Right. It's, 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 I mean, that's it. It is, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. If, if people want to say that, like, you know, like early recruiting is, is – no, I think – and I want to actually first add on to, to your point, Tannehy. I think I've, I've always strongly felt, and I think people agree, maybe with part of this, but I've, I've always strongly felt that recruiting is no doubt a major risk if it's a, a rising senior 
in high school or a, a rising sophomore, there's always a risk. You never know what That's you're right. going to get. There, there are too many variables. Is it riskier as you move up the timeline? You take a, a current eighth grader in March? Of, of course right. it is. But it's a, it's a risk regardless. And people, you know, I, I think uh, talk so much about that. And, like, it's it's almost too much on that on that topic um, because they don't realize that just how many variables there are. And, and I, I uh, it's almost like a broken record. I try and speak about it because when these kids don't pan out, you know, whatever your definition of panning out is, whether that's an all-conference career, whether you're starting as D-Mitty, whatever that is, when sure. these kids aren't panning out, all of a sudden I'm getting yelled at for, you know, ranking way too many UVA and Carolina <laughs> or Harvard or Georgetown recruits. It's my fault. Right. Early recruiting is all my fault. But it's like, there, there are too many variables for me to correctly, you know, hit the nail on the head um, with this stuff. I mean, you, you look at, of course, this is so self-serving. I'm talking about myself here. But uh, you, you look at it and, and think about how many times NFL draft gurus and, and NFL teams that have loads of scouts, how many times they miss. And they have right. all sorts of resources. I'm, right. I'm one guy, and I'm, I'm ranking all these kids, and I'm seeing the on-field product, watching film talking to college coaches and all that, but I've, I've, I feel so strongly that, and it's almost a given at this point, that I don't know what, what that kid's work ethic is going to be. I don't know if he's going right. to feel like he's a finished product because he, you know, was, was ranked in the top 10 throughout his whole high school career and, and played at one of the best high school programs in the country. I don't know if he can get it to have a drinking problem, you know, or not work hard, not right. hit the wall, not shoot a lot, you know, miss home, have girl problems not get along right. with coaches, you know, be the wrong system. Like there's so many variables that we cannot control. We know how unpredictable, uh, eight, you know, these 18 to 22 year olds, you know, are you, you guys coach a college program for a while. So you, you just really, it's, it's, there's very much this unknown when you're, you're taking a kid, you think you know what you're getting, but you have no clue. And that's just the nature of it. And I'm saying that a million times, that's the nature of it. When you're taking, you know, we were evaluating a 14 to 18 year old, and then kind of like projecting how he'll be and how he'll act, uh, how hard he'll work as an 18 to 22 year old. Right. So, you're so, so this you're is dead on. so this was uh, my point to support early recruiting, and Ty, see if you you agree with this. But here's the thing: when I was first in the game, when I was sitting next to Andy as an assistant coach at Dartmouth. I literally, my first day on the job, Bill Wilson had me write handwritten letters to the, what, 10 to 15 guys that we thought, I mean, we were writing handwritten letters still. I was thinking to myself, God, these kids are rising seniors. You know what I mean? Or at the time, uh, I think they were currently either juniors or even seniors at that point. But I was thinking to myself, God, I don't know this kid. I don't know this kid. I'm writing a letter to him, and I'm saying it out. I know Andy had a relationship with him. But now, when I went to Michigan, and I'm recruiting, I was recruiting eighth graders. I will be the first one to say, I hand up, I recruited an eighth grader, and more than just one. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I know these kids. Every single move for the next four years, I know these kids. I know their grades. I know their, when they get dumped by their girlfriend. I know when they go on a date. I'm in contact with them every week. I can literally, almost even more influential than their current families and their parents, I can literally shape their next four years. 
I can sit there four years when they go to class. I can guarantee that, hey, listen, Johnny, I need that to be a 3-5. I can't have you at a 3-0. I can dictate all of that information over four years as opposed to, you know, recruiting them for one, locking them in, and then having no idea. And so, right. you know, people say that they don't know what they want, and people say, well, you don't know how, to, you don't know how they're going to pan out. Well, as a college coach, you can dictate that through the recruiting process. And it's something really special that kids coming in now have developed a relationship not for one year plus college. They've developed them now for four years plus four years of college. It's an eight-year relationship more than any other college coach with their players ever had in the history of our sport. Yes, I think, you know, also to add on to that, you know, you can also build relationships with your, your fellow recruits in the recruiting class you know, for a longer, yep. you know, period of time and, and play with them in the club circuit. You know, I'm Great sure they, they have a bunch of, uh, you know, text change. They talk to each other and, yeah. and watch each other play. You, you, you're kind of building that chemistry before you get there, you know, with the coaches and, and the, you know, the program, but also the guys are going in with. You have more time to do that. And, and, again, I could talk about this all day because it's it's such a fascinating topic and people have so many opinions, uh, many of which I just hate on because I'm an asshole. But, uh, you know, but but I, I, like, I like reading it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm way more open than people think. Uh, I, I think it's just it's fascinating to see the different arguments and, and standpoints that people have. Um, and I think the, the, it seems to me that the, the haters, the, the people that have sour grapes, they're, they're, probably, <laughs> they're probably the parents of the, the kids that got passed by. You know, the, the I agree like 100%. Boomers. And, like, I, agree 100%. I, I get that. I get that. And then there's some guys in, in D1 and, and even D3 that say, oh, this early recruiting is, is really hurting us when, like, no, it isn't. You know, I think it is. It, it, it's definitely hurting some programs. Um, but at the same time, it's giving – uh, a lot of these Division One schools, almost like a list of, of kids they can cross off, you know, like the, right. like the Albanies and even the, the Villanovas of the world and, and the Towsons. I mean, they can almost like have a list of a couple dozen kids they can cross off by, um, you know, maybe for the 2019 class, like by this summer. They have 100 kids they can cross off the list, and that's a little bit less work to sift through and, and look all of it, you know? Or yep. if they're on the top of the food chain, those are the only 100 kids they recruit. Yep. <laughs> if, you're, if you're Duke and Notre Dame, I mean, it's like, hey, listen, I respect the, uh, the evaluations of my peers. God, 100 kids are, recruited, uh, are already, quote, unquote, verbally committed. As a, as a guy wearing a blue shirt and a big D on it, I'm going to sit on the sidelines, and those are the guys I want to watch first. And if I like yep. what I see, well, I'm going to go right after them. Changing gears here, uh, we're going to come back and we're going to do our pick. Black Vegas Lions Picks of the Week. We use Black Vegas Lions uh, for all the lines for our Top 20 Games Picks of the Week. And, of course, we'll end with our weekly Rock Bottom Bowl. But first, uh, let's go to the rundown. Number one, Denver. Uh, at home, favored by five goals versus Penn State. That, that game is actually in uh, in Dallas, Texas, neutral. Oh, nice. That's so neutral. I, I got to give a little plug to my boys at the uh, Lack Sports Network. They're going to have that uh, that live streamed on uh, at 1 o'clock on Saturday. That, that should be a good one. I think Penn State's playing well, playing better. But uh, I think Denver, 
uh, absolutely, I think I, I would take them by six or seven. Wow. What do you got, A.T.? Uh, I agree with Ty. I think that Denver is just too dialed in. I think that Denver's going to win the face-offs. I was shocked. Uh, you know, I, I just I, I just don't think that the Penn State face-off guy could hang. I saw him. I thought he was going to come and he was going to beat up on the UMass guy, and instead the UMass guy took it to him. And so I think that Denver's going to thoroughly dominate the face-offs. Penn State struggling in the goal. Denver's the best shooting team in the country. I can see Denver beating them by even more than that. I can see like a 17-7 to type game. So I've got DU in this game as well. I've got Denver. I've got Denver definitely covering this. I see the same thing you two both do. Um, And I've got it uh, more than five. Number two, Notre Dame going to Columbus. Favored by four goals. Uh, What do you got? First off, wasn't it last year that Notre Dame shut them out? Like nine nothing? Yes. 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 Oh, oh, buddy. This is going to be a fun one. No, I, uh, <laughs> Ohio State is so unpredictable, it's ridiculous. I love Nick Myers. I, I love those guys in the staff. I love those players. I think Notre Dame covers and then some, uh, you know, keep it that way. But I think Ohio State will play pretty inspired ball, um, but, but not 48 minutes or not 60 minutes. Perfect. We got AT. I, I agree. I see, uh, I see a 12-4 victory for Notre Dame. I just don't see – Ohio State being able to generate anything offensively, and I think they're going to have a tough time uh, managing Notre Dame's offense. Even though I don't think Notre Dame's offense is particularly scary, I don't think they put up a lot of goals, but I also think that's reflective uh, you know, of the way that they play defense, and I think they play offense by design that way. I don't see them running and gunning, uh, but I do see them scoring about 12 goals. I Oh, four. I got, I got Notre Dame. Listen, um, this one's interesting. Uh, you know, like, like Ty said, they're super inconsistent in Ohio State. You don't know what Ohio State team you're going to see. Uh, they've lost at home. They lost in a midweek game against Towson that I thought maybe they should have won. Um, and you could argue that they could have won that, obviously. It was a one-goal game. But this one... I mean, Notre Dame's playing real well. I, I got them covering four goals. I see the same thing you two have. So I got Notre Dame covering four. Number three, Yale. Uh, favored by four goals against Princeton at home in New Haven. What do you got, Ty? I, you know, I think this game is usually a one-goal game. I was talking to Yale about it. Uh, maybe that's just coach speak, but I, I think Yale covers. Uh, Princeton is is pretty rough this year. I, uh, I I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I I think they have the talent. Uh, I think they have potential, but I have not been impressed. Uh, just just watching tape of of Princeton. Um, I think uh, hopefully they play some inspired ball uh, and get their act together. But this this Yale team is is pretty scary, and and we'll add another uh, you know win. I I think they uh, they cover here. Hey, yeah. You know what? I, this is this is a this is a tough game for me. And Ty brings up a great point. This is always a close game every year. And normally, I would say that Yale pounds them in this situation because Yale has had such a great season, and Princeton has been uh, really, really struggling. But I see Princeton coming to play in this game, and I see uh, Zach Courier being able to. Uh, surprisingly win some faceoffs. I think that the Princeton guys look at this game as a game that they feel they have better players than Yale. Now, Yale's a better team, 
and Yale's going to win the game. But strangely enough, I see this being a closer game, uh, and I see Princeton covering here. I can see, you know, 10-8, something like that. The Princeton plays its best game of the year, but still ends up losing the game. But they do cover. I got Princeton to cover. See, I'm over the Princeton train. I gave them a lot of credit. I thought that they should have been ranked in the top 20 to begin with because that's where they were preseason, and no one gave them respect, and I wanted to be the one to give them respect. If this was in in New Jersey, I'd give Princeton covering, but I've got Yale at home. I think, and here's the other part, too. We need Yale to do well. We need Brown to do well. We need those two teams yep. to meet in the Ivy League championship, and obviously yep. – the best of all worlds that they split. One wins to the other in the regular season. The other Agreed. splits. In that way, the Ivy League stays strong. Obviously, Ty, you just walked into the Ivy League podcast. So, uh, oh, I'm I'm a, I'm an Ivy League junkie too. You know, I okay, uh, great. You know, I'm I'm all about it. I I don't have that uh, that S Yale attitude. I think uh, like you do, <laughs> but but that's okay. Those those are my guys up there, and uh, I, I think Yale is a very very difficult place to to play. Um, I, I took in yep, this game against sure. Maryland a few weeks ago and, and had a, a really good time and uh, love that atmosphere. Those guys play their tails off. Um, they do. Defense is uh, is just a, a pleasure to watch, and I think Phil Hufford's hitting his stride a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I think, like like one of you guys said, I, I, the fact that Yale plays at home uh, will change the whole outcome of the game. If this was in, uh, you know, this is in Princeton, New Jersey, I think it's maybe a a 10-8 game, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, but I, I know there's so much parity in Ivy League that who the hell knows? Right, right. And that's why I have Yale in this, just because we need Yale. We need Yale to win, and we need Yale to win out. Uh, number five, Syracuse, going to Duke, number 11 Duke, favored by a goal and a half. This one's, uh, this one's going to be a big game. What do you got, Ty? I have no clue. Like this, this, this is is going to bother me for the next twenty four hours. Um, you know, I I can I go to happy hour in a few hours and then break and then come back. It's just happy hour's already I, started. Ty, it's already started. The happy hour's already started. We we have different uh, definitions, RD. You know. Both, both of you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still recovering from my night out with you two in January. So, uh, you know, down, down in Florida, um, I know you are too, AT. So uh, that 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 may affect our picks here. Um, that that one night out over MLK weekend is at the highest event. So, um, no, I, uh, I I don't know. I mean, like, I didn't get to watch much of the Duke Air Force game. Um, I thought the way it ended was, was kind of BS, and that was my initial thought. And, and now I'm you know moving forward and saying it was probably right. Duke had so many chances to win that game. They've got to be pissed off. Like, they, I know they're so used to losing in, in February and March. Like, that's just what they do. And then they explode in, in May. But uh, I, I don't know who to pick. I, I guess it's uh, the Lions, what, one and a half? Yeah. I think Duke covers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great line, that's for sure, because you really, you know, a two-goal win by Q's, but Duke covers, that's what Ty has. What do you have, AT? Uh, I, got, I got Duke in this game. You know, again, they lost a tough game to Air Force, who's very well coached, having a great year. Uh, I just think that Kyle Rowe is going to do a good job helping to neutralize Ben Williams. I think they're going to split at the X, and I think that Duke has more offense than Syracuse does. And I think that 
the fact that they're playing at home, I just I, I, I see Duke sending Syracuse to its second straight loss following that tough to handle overtime loss to Hopkins last week. I got Duke to not only cover but to win the game outright. See, I, I really thought I thought you guys were gonna go Q's and I was gonna go Duke and I was gonna be the only one going Duke on this one. I have Duke covering and I, I agree with AT. I think they're gonna win the game. And I think only because you know, I think, of course, Ben Williams is going to win a majority of the faceoffs, but he's not going to get 65 plus, I don't believe. Uh, and, and if Syracuse is a winner every time, if Ben Williams can get 65 plus, and now I have dunks about their offense, I'm, getting, I'm going with uh, Duke on this one at home. Number six, Maryland at home against number 12, Carolina. Maryland favored by two. What do you got, Ty? I, I think uh, I'm going to go with the Terps, and I've been accused many times of being a Terp hater. Uh, I hate watching their offense. I love watching their defense. Um, I think the Terps cover. I, I don't know what to think of Carolina just because I haven't watched them in, in recent weeks. Um, and they're another team. They're they're so unpredictable. It makes me want to pull out my hair. Um, and, and that's coming from a kid whose family is all Duke and UVA alums. I'm not a Carolina hater. I love those guys. Um, I think they have the talent, but I haven't really seen it. I think the Terps cover and, and win. Yeah, I – I, I, listen, I want I want the heels to win, I do, uh, but I just think if you look at it. I think that Henningsen is going to beat Kelly at the X. Worst case scenario, they go fifty percent, but I think Henningsen wins. I think Carolina's defense is not going to be able to stop Maryland's offense, and I think Maryland's offense is going to be able to slow down Carolina's offense. So I just. I just I hate to say it, but I see another low-scoring victory. I can see like eight-four or ten-six, but Maryland covers and Maryland wins. Yeah, I got the same as you guys. If it was in Carolina, I definitely have Carolina covering here, uh, but it's in it's in College Park, so I got Maryland as well. Number eight, Villanova at home versus Fairfield. The line's at three and a half. Villanova's favored. What do you got, Ty? This is the definition of a trap game, you know, in, in my <laughs> eyes. No, I mean, I, I think Villanova has Brown come to town on Tuesday. So I know that they've been preparing pretty hard, uh, you know, to play Cope and, and Fairfield. I think Fairfield's a different team. I know they had some suspensions for a, uh, a certain party they had on campus uh, a few weeks yep. ago. So uh, yep. they're, they're back. They have some, some great seniors. Um, I love their plays in, in goal at the faceoff X. Uh, I, I, Adore watching Villanova and just the way that offense works. And, and Paul Modesto is, is a freak at the faceoff X. I, I don't think Villanova covers. I think maybe like a two-goal game. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. This is another tough pick. Um, and it can go either way. We know, like, how explosive that Wildcat offense is, especially when Jake Ricaro is taking 3,000 shots per game. So three and a half. Are they covering or no? They're, they're covering. No, they're not, they're not, they're not covering. I, I rambled. They're not covering. Um, I, I went a little rant, and, and it was nonsensical, and, and you guys like that, I hope. Um, they're, they're not going to cover, but this is such a trap game. Like, it, it could go either way. You know, like, would I be shocked if Fairfield wins? Like, not, not as shocked as others will be if it happens. There's, there's my long spiel. Yeah. I, 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 got, listen, I, got, I got Villanova pounding. Fairfield. Uh, there's no way Mike Carrado is going to have his team looking past Fairfield. 
Villanova's going to win the X. I agree with Ty. I love Finnerfield's goalie. I think he's phenomenal, but they don't have they, – they can't cover Villanova. Villanova's going to score over 15 goals. They're going to win the faceoffs. I see it being like 15-6 to 6, Villanova. Villanova covers okay. easy. I've got for Carroll with 10 out of the 15 in this one. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to use your score. Love that. Time. Love that. I think he's going to break his his eight goal scoring record in this one. He might. Um, he might. Mark me mark me down on that. Villanova covers for me, and I love Fairfield, but I think they're struggling early season with that whole situation off the field. Love the staff. I think Copeland's one of the great best coaches in the country. I really do. Absolutely. At Fairfield, so but in this one, I don't think so. Number nine, Towson at home versus Binghamton. The line is at four goals. What do you guys got, Ty? That, that seems way too low to me. You know, four seems way too low. Uh, I think they cover and then some. It's a very well-coached team. They're really stout on defense. Uh, I, I love the Tigers. I think they're, they're a quarterfinal team this year, and I said that, you know, in, in February before the you know, play even started. Uh, Towson, easy. I, got, I agree. Hey, I think Towson rolls them. I can see – I don't see Binghamton scoring four goals on these guys. I see another, you know, 10 – 10-3, 12-3 game. Towson covers easy. Uh, great. I got Towson as well. I got probably five or six goals over the four. Agree with Towers and Ty on that. Number 10, Albany, favored by four and a half goals. Going to Connecticut to play Hartford. What do you got, Ty? Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. Albany, um, you know, by, by way more than 4.5, although I think uh, the America East gets so freaking weird. You know, you never know. I, I you know, but but Albany by a lot. Perfect. I agree. Hey, hey, I got Albany an easy cover here. I've got Hartford covering in this. Uh, I've got Hartford covering this. I think four and a half is too high. I think five goals is a little too high to, for Albany to beat them. But I've got Hartford covering this. So I'm opposite of you guys. Uh, number thirteen, Stony Brook, favored by four and a half goals against UMBC in Baltimore. What do you got, Ty? I uh, I'm I'm going with the Seawolves. Um, I I I love the way that they've been playing on offense, and my man Andrew Watkins is is a great D coordinator on on defense. So uh, I, I I love the Seawolves. UMBC I haven't seen much of, so I can't really say. But I think they're an easy cover. Uh, for I Stony agree. Brook, easy cover. Stony Brook's gonna roll. I got Stony Brook. Uh, I have Stony Brook as well. I think we've got all there in agreement. Stony Brook is just a really tough offensive team. Number 14, Navy going to Lehigh. Two and a half goals is the spread. What do you got, Ty? That's a, that's a tough matchup. I, uh, everyone loves the Navy defense, and, and our man Wellner is, is towing it there. Uh, I, I think they'll do a nice job matching up with Lehigh shooters. They have uh, some, some great Canadians and, you know, creative play on offense. I think Navy covers. Actually, I think, uh, you know, I don't think they cover. I think it's a pretty, you know, tight game, maybe 10-8 or so. Navy's been in a lot of uh, a lot of close ones. So, I don't think they cover. I think it, it stays stays pretty close, and they keep up with the trends. I got Navy to, I got Navy to cover. I think Navy's going to win the faceoffs. I think Navy's defense – is one of the best defenses in the country. I think they have some goal scorers on the offensive end to support that. This is the best Navy team we've seen in a long time. I think they're going to end up representing the Patriot League uh, with the AQ. I got Navy to cover in like a 10-6 game, something like that. 
I've got Lehigh to cover and win this. It wouldn't be right without a Patriot League craziness to the end of the season, and this is the game that can make it really weird for the Patriot League. I've got Lehigh winning this outright. Uh, so not only that, I have Lehigh covering for sure. Number 15, Harvard. Oh, boy. In Boston, going against my alma mater, Dallas College. <laughs> what do you got, Ty? Uh, is, I is, the line. Do I even have to tell you the line, Ty? Or are you just going to take Harvard no matter what? Does, does Dartmouth move to D3 next year or in two years? <laughs> oh, uh, oh, man. I, uh, I, I was just – I mean, I, it's, they lose Amy Towers and, you know, things fall apart. Um, okay. I that's mean, not the spirit, but I like, I like your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Harvard rolls. Um, but, again, you, ne- you don't know which Harvard you're going to get. Uh, and, and Dartmouth, I think that's – yet another team that is just going to play pissed off. Uh, they're the butt of many jokes, um, including mine. Uh, not, not the two of yours, but uh, I think Harvard wins by eight or nine uh, and, and, you know, hold strong and on their home field. It's a six-goal spread, AK. What do you think? Uh, I got Harvard in a roller. I think that Harvard wins like, you know, 14 to four or something like that. I just don't think that um, Dartmouth has – you know, it, 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 they're they're in a dark spot, and Harvard, um, you know, they need this win to stay relevant. Harvard's still very, very much in the playoff hunt with an at-large berth. They only have one loss to Brown in league. They have wins over Duke, UMass, Villanova. They still have a ton to play for. They are beaten up, but I just think that they're going to be way too much for a Dartmouth team that just doesn't know who they are. I got Harvard. Come on, Dartmouth. Just Lose by six or less. It's, it's actually pronounced uh, Dart, Dartmouth Five. You know, as, as family, <laughs> my man family used to always say Dartmouth Five. So I'd like you guys to start saying Dartmouth Five. So uh, <laughs> come on, go big green, go big green. Six or less, six or less. I got Dartmouth covering this in Boston. It's not much of a road trip, so it's actually kind of a home game. Two and a half hours away at the home game for Dartmouth. Um, number sixteen, Army. Favored by two and a half. Upstate against Colgate. What do you got, Ty? Army, easy. Colgate. Uh, I, I love their personnel on paper. Um, the the products, maybe not so much. I think they're, what, three and five or something? Um, I think Army covers pretty easily. Um, but that could be a fun game. We I agree with Ty. I, I agree with Ty. Army's going to win the faceoffs. Army's playing with a purpose. Uh, you know, I think it's Army and Navy in the Patriot League. I do, and I got uh, I got Army to cover that. He's not even putting Loyola in that Patriot League mix either. I've got Colgate winning. I've got them winning. It's, it's the Patriot League madness. So I got them winning. If not, they're definitely going to cover. So I got, I'm going to take the opposite here in the Patriot League, which brings us to the next team that we're talking about in the Patriot League, number 17, Loyola at home versus Bucknell. What do you got, Ty? Two and a half is the spread. Loyal is a tough place to play, man. Uh, you know, I think the best student section in the country. Um, I, I think those guys will be fired up to play Bucknell in, in a great game. Uh, I watched these two teams play last year in, in Lewisburg. I was up there, uh, and that was an OT matchup. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think I think uh, Loyola covers. Um, I think, you know, Pat Spencer and, and Germershausen, who's been filling in for hair wires, I think – Wires, excuse me. I think they're playing great ball, um, you know, on the attack end. 
but just not get that same consistency, you know, in, in goal and face-off backs across the board. Uh, I think Loyola squeaks this one out, um, but uh, I don't think they cover. So you got Bucknell covering in this Yes. One. Two goals, R.D., it's two goals. Two and a half goals, A.T. Uh, Loyola, okay. yeah. Two. I think that uh, I think Bucknell wins the face-offs. I think Bucknell wins the battle in the goal. Um, but I think that Charlie Toomey and his staff gets his team ready to play this, and I think that Loyola wins the game, but I think Bucknell covers. Uh, so I got Bucknell to cover in a loss. Wow. Uh, I have Loyola all the way in this. Ridley complex is not easy, as Ty mentioned, and I think Loyola is going to put it together. They need this game. They need it bad. Number 19, Hofstra going to St. John's. They are saved by three and a half goals. Ty, what do you got? Uh, I think Hofstra covers. They've they've had a very different on-field product these, these last few weeks than their their start, you know, and then they had some great wins to start. But um, you know, I'm I'm not loving the way they're playing right now. But I think they make that short bus trip uh, to to lovely Queens and and pull that one up at, one out by maybe four or five. So they they cover. AK, uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I think St. John's Hofstra's not playing well. You know, they struggled to beat Vermont on Tuesday night in overtime. And while they had some big wins, as we said earlier, over some storied programs, I don't think that those wins are turning out to be as big as, as we all thought at that time that they happened. Uh, so I've got uh, – but, but I just think St. John's is, is not a strong team this year. And I got Hofstra to win. I just think that they're going to be able to uh, – you know, I can see it being like 12-6. I, I got Hofstra to cover. I got uh, it's a clean sweep with Hofstra on this one. I've, even though it's in Queens, I still got Hofstra covering three and a half goals. Number 20, getting into the top 20 for the first time, I believe, this season. Uh, Air Force going to Detroit. The line is four. What do you got, Ty? The four is generous. I think they uh, absolutely roll and they carry their momentum over to. To, to Saturday, I, they, they played some great lacrosse against Duke. Uh, Doug Goodshow is, is so underrated and, and uh, just an excellent keeper. Uh, Air Force just uh, dominates uh, in the Mother City. I agree. I agree. I agree. I got Air Force. Air Force is for real. Uh, they're going to win. They're going to win the SoCon uh, as much as I hope it's Torp. They're going to win the SoCon. I think they're the best team in that league. I got Air Force to, to roll them. I've got Detroit covering this, and I only do that because Detroit's defense is better than a lot of other people think it is. Uh, they've got a great goalie. They've got a great system. Uh, Detroit's defense is really legit. I don't think they win, but I think uh, Detroit covers. Last game outside of the RBB, number seven, John Hopkins on Sunday in a pickup against Virginia in Charlottesville. What do you got, Ty? This is my favorite game every year. Um, I think Hopkins wins 12-11. Wow. I, I like simple. that. I like that. I like that. What, was what, line, what was the line, RD? Kick them. Uh, this is a game that sets up for a letdown for Johns Hopkins after two huge wins or three huge wins <laughs> when you factor in Princeton, Towson, uh, and Syracuse. I see a letdown for the Jays, and I see – uh, the best effort out of the Cavs. I'm going outside the box, and I think that Virginia wins the game. Wins the game. I got Virginia. Uh, I don't think you're outside the box in this one, AT. I think you're uh, you're right there, teetering the box. I've got Virginia in this one too. I think if it's a pick 'em, 
And you've got Hopkins, Virginia. You're going to take the home team on this one. Not an easy road trip to go down to Clockner and play the Cavs on their home turf. I've got Virginia. Uh, last but not least, the Rock Bottom Bowl of the week. In your face, Rock Bottom Bowl. A.T., who is it? Uh, this week, the Rock Bottom Bowl is going to be Holy Cross and Jacksonville. As always, the Rock Bottom Bowl is a pickup. <laughs> what do you got, Ty? No one wins this game. You know, no, no. <laughs> zero to zero ending. Uh, you know, five overtimes. They just call the game. No goal scored. That's my. That's my pick. Oh my god! It's it's gonna end in a tie, and for the first time, that's just what I'm saying. Um, (laughs) I've got I I like that tie, and your name's Ty, so that makes a ton of sense. I got a daughter named Ty. I am going to go with uh, Holy Cross. I think their frustration in 2016 ends. I think they kill Jacksonville, so I got Holy Cross. I don't think Jacksonville is going to keep up with the 10-man ride. Holy Cross is going to give them. They're getting off the bus. They think it's going to be warm out, but it's not. It's on a hill in Worcester. It's a beautiful, beautiful city, as we know, Towers. It's all Worcester. It's gorgeous out there. Um, True. But uh, Jacksonville is going to be rudely met. I've got Holy Cross on that. That's double the points for us, AT, in this week's. But that's all for the show. Listen, thank you, Ty, so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, man. It's been huge. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. That was uh, You are the man. Thanks, Ty. Yeah, love you guys. Take it easy. Have a great weekend. All right, Thank you. Check out his site, recruitingrundown.com. In the meantime, you can always subscribe to our podcast, In Your Face, on iTunes. And as always, as well, you can check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Lax. We'll be back early to recap this week's and our picks. But in the meantime, enjoy lacrosse and enjoy your weekend. Thanks a lot.